COVID, critical race, compliance mandate, and conflicting stories about it all. Mask, vaccine? No. The truth shall set you free. TNN, the Truth News Network, with your host, Dan Newman. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just grab a big wad of truths and facts for you this morning? Hello, everyone, and welcome to TNN Live, a brand new week, Monday the 18th. We've already passed the midpoint of October. Come on, folks. Am I just getting older, and getting older means the the calendar flips faster? Or is maybe the sun moving us around it a little bit faster? It seems like days just fly by. Well... We're going to do our best to not miss any of the important stuff today for you. And um, looking back over the weekend, you know what was interesting to me? I didn't see much of anything in the way of news. Normally in D.C., if you remember this, we always point it out when it happens, big news items that are negative to whatever administration is currently in power, they just seem to slip toward the late afternoon and early evening hours on Friday. So it kind of gets lost in the weekend news stuff, and by Monday morning, it's kind of all become old stuff and nobody's talking about it. None of that kind of stuff happened this weekend. I think Joe Biden, the president, I think he put the lid on it on his weekend, information-wise and public appearances. Yeah, I know he talked to some people. He actually went and did a few things, but nothing that was even remotely controversial other than doing what he did where he did it, unmasked, totally. He just basically said, I don't give a rip anymore. I'm the president of the United States. I control COVID. That's what I'm all about, and I'm not going to let it get to me. A lot of in-your-face stuff, but that's nothing new for Democrats, especially this Democrat party. Well, how was your weekend? Did you do? Go to football games, go to soccer matches. Did you watch any football yesterday? Some big games, some interesting games, too. Um, Boy, it looked like uh, New England was going to clobber Dallas. Neither team could score earlier, but up at uh, in uh, Massachusetts, the Cowboys did their thing. Saints were off, so those are the two teams of local impact on me. Being in northwest Louisiana, we're actually closer to Dallas than we are to New Orleans. But I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a native. Come on, folks. I've got to support the Saints. They're having a little bit of tough go getting started this season without Drew Brees. But uh, there's some interesting things going on with the Saints. We won't get into the details. But uh, the owner of the Saints, um, she basically came out a few weeks ago, and they put together... A, uh, a massive, a massive um, plan for transferal of ownership and um, ownership of the Saints. When Gail Benson, the owner, she inherited from her husband Tom Benson when he passed away, um, they set up a plan to put it in an entity, whoever buys it, put all of the money that they purchase with, put all that into a foundation and the money, the proceeds from that foundation are earmarked for the city of New Orleans and a bunch of charities in that area. It's a a very interesting plan 
And I got to say this. I never met Miss Benson. I never met Tom Benson. I did business with him when we had the New Orleans voodoo down there. And um, my interactions with the Saints organization, almost in total, were good. Um, Mr. Benson wasn't very fond of what we were doing because he started the voodoo originally and then he shut the team down at the beginning of the demise of the original Arena Football League. And a group of us that were in AF2 were AF2 owners. We bought all of the assets of the old AFL out of bankruptcy, which included all the intellectual property of every team, trademarks, names, etc. And um, I adopted the name Voodoo and moved my team from Northwest Louisiana to New Orleans. All that being said, from top to bottom, that's a class organization. Mickey Loomis, general manager, uh, has become a friend and uh, they've just got some good people down there. South Louisiana people, folks, as a rule, are just good folks. And by the way, I am one of them South Louisiana folks. I grew up in Lafayette in Franklin, Louisiana. Moved to North Louisiana um, right before my high school senior year. Went to Louisiana Tech. Marianne and I met there. And, of course, she swept me off my feet. And uh, she's from a little town in northwest Louisiana, Cotton Valley. So we didn't settle in Cotton Valley, but we settled in Shreveport, Bossier, where we have raised our kids, and now our six grandchildren are all right here in northwest Louisiana. So we, we, we bees, Louisiana folks. We've got mixed north and south Louisiana blood in us, but folks from Louisiana are good. Let me tell you, let me, if you didn't see the morning story today at truthnewsnet.org, it's not a lengthy story. Capsulated in the middle of it is a short video that you need to watch. Uh, Kelly Nelson, one of our contributing writers, found this and pinned this, and it's about an area of Tennessee. Now, we in the South, with all of the hoo-ha that's been going on the last couple of years around the nation, you know, riots and looting and critical race theory and uh, big, big, big government overreach into our lives, Tennessee doesn't typically find itself in those conversations. But this one today, folks, if you haven't looked at the story yet, make sure you go back and, and uh, take a look at it today. It'll open your eyes every day now. We're seeing and we're hearing more and more things that are opening our eyes. Let me, t- let, me, let me start with this one. You know, for the past year and a half or so, police reform. Now, that's a term that the far left came up with to make it sound palatable, in my opinion. Police reform. It's been at the center of public debate over and over. They'll let it slide for a while, but it always comes up when there's a heated conversation in political circles. So after President Biden and leftist Democrats took control of the government, the radicals reintroduced their legislation to what they call reimagine policing. The title of it, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Now we, we were told it's very important, this bill. Yet three weeks ago, when it was announced the Senate negotiations had failed and the bill was finished, the overall reaction from everybody on the left was just pretty much, oh well, no big deal. The ruling class media expressed 
outrage for a day or two, but it was kind of not their typical heated outrage. And then the issue disappeared. So why do you think that is? Well, take a moment. Let's consider how we got here. Do you remember this? The real purpose of Democrats' Black Lives Matter-inspired legislation was not to repurpose or reimagine policing. It was to destroy it, not to improve it. The bill was poison. It was built on the big lie that American policing is systematically racist. Now, put that in the context of this. We saw about a year of Black Lives Matter and Antifa mob violence around the nation. Do you remember how many riots there were? We kept up with them here. Exactly. 574. Two billion dollars in destruction. Arson and looting. At least 25 people died. More than 2,000 police officers were injured. To reinforce this uh, spirit of lawlessness, leftist prosecutors dismissed most of the charges against most of those rioters and looters in Portland, New York City, and elsewhere across the nation. While every aspect of that Democrat bill was supposed to undermine law enforcement, two provisions would have directly dismantled the police and would have resulted in thousands more black people being killed. What are they? Well, first, the bill would have stripped the protection of qualified immunity for those officers. You know what that is. That means that if you're a police officer and in your job, if someone is hurt or someone is even killed, that particular cop cannot be sued personally for anything that may have happened. Now, does that give them impunity if they did something wrong? No, it's not that at all. The left tried to make it into that, but what it meant was, as you know, in the United States today, anybody can sue anybody, and typically most of these kind of lawsuits happen so that there won't be a trial. That's not the end result. We can just settle this out of court. So that bill would have stripped that qualified immunity and every cop that did anything wrong working for the city, the state, or the feds could be held liable even if they didn't do anything wrong. They could be sued. Second, in deference to tenets of critical race theory, the bill would have made it law that any group identity statistical disparities in investigation or enforcement of the laws would constitute prima facie proof of racial profiling, which meant, literally, folks, any cop that arrested anybody that was of a different race, they could automatically be charged with racial profiling. Law-abiding minority citizens want the police in their communities. 81% of black Americans want to keep or even increase the number of police officers in their neighborhoods. But this bill would have prevented police from proactively policing even high-crime black communities just because they're black. A leftist race-based enforcement quota system would have permanently diverted vital police resources away from those places that are right now high-violence crime neighborhoods. So why was the 
far left so quiet when it when the plan to destroy policing that they had, when it failed? Well, because their mission has already been almost completely accomplished. In virtually every major Democrat-run city, and even more, policing as we know it has been undermined beyond recognition, perhaps even beyond repair. The numbers speak for themselves. America's crime epidemic saw a 30% homicide increase last year, 2020. And that's the biggest ever, 30%. Almost 10,000 homicide victims were black. 53% of all victims, despite blacks constituting only 13% of our total population. Black Lives Matter Marxist programs of defunding, demonizing, dismantling the cops has emboldened criminals and caused police to pull back now. The war on cops, it's also escalated. Already this year, 2021, 241 officers have been shot, 44 killed by gunfire, and ambush attacks have increased 103%. Black Lives Matter, Democrats, the ruling class media, rogue prosecutors have broken the police. Perpetuating the myth of systemic police racism has justified eliminating cash bail, that ending of qualified immunity, and enacting laws that practically legalize theft. I mean, you live in San Francisco, they're not going to arrest you for theft in a store, even if a cop's looking at you, if what you stole is less than a thousand bucks. In Democrat-run cities, proactive policing is dead. Officer morale at rock bottom. Many of the most qualified veterans are bailing. Last year across the country, retirements increased by 45%, resignations by 18%. People are saying it's not worth it. People that gave their life in a mission to protect Americans and protect America are being painted as evil just because they wear a badge. And they don't need that. They don't want that. And they're not going to live in that. And finally, the left has effectively undermined our law and civil order through an organized takeover of states' attorneys' offices by these radicals. Funded, yes, big bucks, big pockets, George Soros. These rogue prosecutors subvert the system from the inside dismissing thousands of felony cases, failing to charge violent criminals, arbitrarily refusing to prosecute quality-of-life crimes such as public urination or prostitution. It's no big deal. That's not a serious offense. In this way, no matter how effective local police are at arresting criminals, their efforts are sabotaged. Massive spikes in violence are directly connected to pro-criminal Soros prosecutors in Chicago, Baltimore, Austin, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, and other Democrat-run jurisdictions. Last year's Black Lives Matter Antifa armed rioting and today's out-of-control violent crime demonstrate that when the mob and street criminals run wild and police pull back, American civilization is disintegrating. And you know what? That's bad to me and you. It's the ultimate objective, though, of all of these leftist elites. 
So how do we fight back? Well, we can. We're looking at a vast array of anti-police power. So what can we do? Got two options left. One, in Democrat-run cities, residents and neighbors got to organize. They got to speak out. They got to take grassroots political action outside of the Democrat Party machine. And then in Republican states, citizens and elected leaders got to enact pro-police laws and policies, everything the Democrats are not supporting and will not do themselves. Unfortunately, though, in most Democrat-run cities with leftist mayors and city councils, these in-the-tank prosecutors and increasingly more woke police chief, things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Violent crime is intensifying every day. It's spreading. But average citizens, thank God, are beginning to fight back. You know what you think about Austin, Austin, Texas? I mean, it is a beautiful city. I love downtown Austin. Have stayed there many times. Well, now it's ruled by a leftist Democrat mayor and a leftist city council who enacted one of the most radical defund the police efforts in the country, $150 million, one-third of the entire police budget was just cut in one meeting. Bam, it's gone. The result has turned Austin into a public safety disaster area. Homicides have increased 44% over last year, 200% compared to just five years ago. During the past year, police retirements increased 65%, resignations 63%. Under man, the Austin Police Department no longer responds to 9-11 calls for eight categories of crimes and disturbances. Can you imagine? Oh, we've got to cut these eight different categories of crimes to which we can we can respond on a 911 call. But Austin residents are not taking this sitting down. They've stood up putting an initiative on the November 2nd ballot to hire more police officers, increase officer training too. However, the arrogance and extent to which leftist elites will go to demolish anything about the police knows no bounds. Soros, who funded the radical Travis County District Attorney, has already sunk a half a million dollars into a campaign to defeat Austin citizens' public safety initiative. Fighting for the police and preserving the rule of law in every Republican state is crucial. And in this fight, folks, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, he's leading the way. Of of all of our governors, DeSantis has been the most outspoken in his support for the cops and the rule of law, proclaiming this, quote, make no mistake, the reason that you have such huge spikes in crime in many parts of the country is because of not standing up for law enforcement, having weak policies where you're letting people out. You're not prosecuting people who are committing habitual offenses. That is clearly causing disastrous consequences. In Florida, DeSantis enacted the anti-riot bill, increasing the penalties for crimes committed during violent assemblies and protecting law enforcement officers and law-abiding citizens. The Florida law also makes it more difficult for cities, municipalities, towns to defund the police. 
The leftist elites, even in the form of Black Lives Matter, Marxist, Antifa anarchists, socialist Democrats, subversive DAs, or even critical race theory race hustlers, they all know that American civilization cannot survive without law, order, and public safety. Got to have all three, law, order, and public safety. This is the reason they're destroying the cops. And this is the reason that American people must stop them. Folks, you got kids and grandkids. You don't want them to grow up in a lawless world. You don't want your police force to be required because of lack of money to cut eight categories of crime that they will not respond to if you have to make a 911 call. You don't want to go there. That's where Austin is right now today. I mean, if you look at the likes of New York City, Chicago, Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, even Atlanta, Georgia, Baltimore, Philadelphia, they're all in the tank with this far-left lawlessness. And you know where that comes from, folks? If you don't, grab a history book. Look at what happened in Europe in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Look how communism took over. Look how socialism still has a death grip on many of those Central European countries. They did away with government of, by, and for the people. They did away with democratic law enforcement, where law enforcement answered to the people. And they replaced that with a totalitarian, totalitarian, in some cases a totalitarian light government where law enforcement ramped back up. But it was controlled by a handful of tyrants at the top with no regard for the populace who weren't even allowed to have any say-so in any part of government, especially law enforcement. And what's this law thing? <laughs> Let's just do away from it. We're only going to allow you to do what we allow you to do, and you can't do one thing more. If you do, we'll lock you up, period. You have no rights. That's where George Soros really desperately wants this nation to go, where the top control everything, and the people just below the top and all the way to the bottom don't even have any say-so. And folks, we're not far. We're not far from getting to that point, and that is a scary thing. So what do we got for you this morning? Well, Bob Gates is back up. He was on 60 Minutes yesterday. You remember him, former CIA director, uh, Secretary of Defense, president of Texas A&M University. He is quite a man, a good writer, too. He's written several books. Well, he made the circuit this weekend, and he wasn't very complimentary about our president and the job that he is doing. We're going to check in with old Bob right after this break, and then we're going to let you hear a little spiel from Carl Bernstein on CNN, and he, he's got the truth in his pocket. Bernstein, you know, his claim to fame, he busted out and busted Richard Nixon and exposed the Watergate break-in. 
That made him a realistic investigative analyst, journalist, reporter, whatever you want to call him. But folks, the man doesn't have one shred of integrity. Over the last 30 years, he's watched his career go right down the toilet. And I've tried to flush it over and over again numerous times, but he keeps popping back up. You're not going to believe what Bernstein has to say about the January 6th, quote unquote, riot. Huh. So we've got Bob, Bob Gates, and Carl, Carl Bernstein. They're up right after this break at TNN Live. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all-natural, juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. I got to tell you, kind of a, a funny thing happened over the weekend. Uh, you know, Truth News Net does not have a Facebook page. Now, if you do a search on your Facebook account for Truth News Network, one will pop up. We don't. We, uh, we established it, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and we were going to use it and activate it, but then all of this um, clampdown by Facebook and Twitter happened for conservatives, and um, then I didn't want to touch it. That's why we do not broadcast live on Facebook. We could, and uh, I think we have right at 5,000 people that are quote-unquote friends, not followers, and we could do that, maybe reach some folks that aren't um, aren't listening into the show today, 
But I thought for a while, I did not want to have to answer to Facebook for any kind of content of what we did. I didn't want to start something and then just grab it and knock us off or do what happens in YouTube today. We we hear every day about conservatives that are having their YouTube videos pulled down, Facebook covers and uh, deletes their sites and all that. We didn't want to go down there. So we've kept everything self-contained. We do this. We have total control of this. We don't answer to anybody. The content can be what it, we want it to be and what we feel it should be. So I get a, I get a, uh, I guess a message, an inside message from Facebook over the weekend that said, congratulations, Dan. We now have it set up so that you can automatically upload your show's podcast right here on your Facebook page. And all you have to do is enter the RSS feed, which is the standard fee when you do a podcast. Uh, it converts your specific podcast into a format. And so any of the broadcast of podcast entities that want to carry your podcast, you just give them that RSS feed, copy and paste, and then after every show, bam, it goes right to their site. That's what happened, and that's why Spotify and Apple iTunes both carry this podcast after it's over. You can go to either one of those, Spotify or iTunes. Apple Podcast is what it is. Uh, and in the search bar, just type in TNN Live, and a menu for all our shows will pop up. It happens within five minutes after we go off the air at 11 every day. So I thought that would be cool, and it said, here's how you, you do it. All you do is enter right here that your RSS feed for your podcast and then we'll confirm and approve it within minutes. And then, bam, from now on, your podcast will be on your Facebook page. So I said, okay, what the heck? You know, we're, we're going to be on uh, Spotify. We, we are on Spotify. We are on Apple. And, of course, you can get these shows after they're over just by going to whatever calendar day, the story that day down at the bottom in red. There'll be a link right to every show that we just completed. So it's no big deal, but it'd be cool to be on Facebook too. So I clicked it, waiting for our approval that they said would happen within minutes. And that was Friday. Today's Monday. We've not heard from Facebook. I thought that was kind of funny. I really didn't think, I really didn't think they would agree to put us up there just because we're without a doubt too conservative for Zuckerberg and his gang. It's interesting how that all works. But folks, when you control the show, you can determine who is in your show and what they can and what they cannot do or say. And so I get it. The world is built, sadly to say, on those at the top. Every day seem to be controlling more and more and more of what anybody that's they feel is not on the level with them can do or say. I don't necessarily need to fit into that mold. It's not a big deal. If I was much younger, it probably would be a big deal. But uh, anyway, it is not a big deal. 866-37-TRUTH. If you want to join the show, ask any questions, make comments, or give us something different to speak about, 866 Put a one in front of that. Excuse me. one 378 7884 Bob Gates, former defense secretary, former CIA director, 
over the weekend on 60 Minutes, he just came right out of the the shoot and says he believed President Biden made a mistake with the way he handled the withdrawal of the U.S. troops from Afghanistan. Gosh, Bob, he agreed with me and you, didn't he? <laughs> he told Anderson Cooper that he thinks Biden has gotten a lot wrong during his four decades in politics, too. Here's what Anderson said. You wrote Joe Biden as a man of integrity. Still, I think he's been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. Cooper noted, yes, Bob Gates, I'm telling you, he said that years ago. Gates replied, I think he's gotten a lot wrong. He went on to say Biden made a mistake, but he's likely never going to admit it. So here's the back and forth. Rather than play the audio, I'll just give you a little synopsis. Cooper, you think he made a mistake in Afghanistan and the way he handled the withdrawal? Gates said yes. Cooper again, do you think he believes he made a mistake? Gates, I've worked for eight presidents, Anderson. I've never encountered a single one of them who ever said, well, I really blew that one. Cooper, you really? Is that true? Gates, no, never. They just don't do it. You know, deep in their heart, they may know it, but they're never going to admit being wrong. Cooper again, really? Do you think it would be better if they did? Gates, yes. I think it would make them more credible. Cooper asked, so what's happened in Afghanistan has been devastating for President Biden. Domestically, can Biden recover? Gates said, I think so. I think that the submarine deal between the United States, the UK, and Australia, I think it's a great strategic move. It sends a powerful message all around the world. So the interview went on and on and on. But basically, folks, Bob Gates is a pretty straight guy. Um, he's very much matter-of-fact, and he does not politically couch what he says. He's one of those guys that says what he feels. And wouldn't you like every politician to just be out front with all of their feelings on every issue so that we would know when they said something that what they said is exactly what they mean instead of doing all of this politically correct crap? that we have to spoon feed just because we can't trust what any of them say. So we have to try to parse words and look in their eyes and watch the way their mouths move when they say it so we can tell if they're just politically posturing or if maybe just maybe they're giving us the facts. So what about Bernstein? This one's a good one, folks. Anderson Cooper again. Anderson Cooper had Carl Bernstein on. And they're discussing what went on on the January 6th thing. And even though the Senate has made already and released the details of a massive investigation into the January 6th rioting, you do remember that the Senate is a Democrat-controlled entity now. Yeah, it's split down the middle, but they control it because the president of the Senate is the vice president, whoever is sitting at that time as VP. This one's former U.S. Senator, former California Attorney General, and now Vice President Kamala Harris. So she cast the deciding vote on any split right down the middle. So what came out of the Senate was very, very bipartisan. Bernstein, however, folks, let me tell you, if you don't know and you haven't kept up with Carl Bernstein through the years, he is anti, anti 
anti-anti-conservative. He is big government. And when any of the leadership, any of the people at the top of CNN, when any of them accidentally breaks wind or belches, Carl Bernstein will immediately say, excuse me, like he's the one that did it. He is so up in everybody's stuff to try to get credibility when he gave his credibility away not long after the Nixon Watergate stuff happened, and he was a hero. He broke that with a partner. But that's the only thing he has ever accomplished in a good way. Since then, his career has been all downhill. So, Anderson Cooper, Carl Bernstein, I want you to listen closely to what the pair come up with about the January 6th stuff that happened and the responsibility for it all. The Senate Judiciary Committee report is the most comprehensive look so far at the former president's assault on democracy, asking the Justice Department nine times to undermine the election result. I'm wondering what your takeaway is it? Well, that there has been a coup led by the president of the United States to undermine the Constitution and possibly and likely a criminal conspiracy as well. And all of these things that are laid out in the report are uncontrovertible evidence of the president of the United States trying to overwhelm constitutional responsibility, to subvert and evade the laws of the United States and the Constitution of the United States. But I think we also need to look at, at something. We are looking at an ongoing cover-up led by the Republican Party to keep the people of the United States from knowing what the hell happened in these terrible moments in which the President of the United States, for the first time in our history, tried to subvert a, a legal and free election. And now we are heading toward the next election in which these same forces are planning to subvert the election. So we are in a constitutional crisis. We, we you know, you have Cher Chairman Durbin saying we were a half step away. From we're in it. You think we're in it. We're and in it because look toward the next election. Right. Look at what has happened already and look at the country itself. The most significant thing perhaps is not just the coup attempt and the coup by the president of the United States and the Republican Party going along with it, but almost half of the adults adult voters in this country from all of the polls and what we saw in the last election are willing to go along with these lies. Yeah. Are, so we are in a kind of civil war in this country. Well, not only, not only people, you know, voters, the, the base uh, supporters willing to go along with this lie, you have Senator Grassley's, you know, rebuttal from the GOP saying nothing to see in that meeting, you know, that Trump, oh, he listened to his senior advisors and followed their advice and recommendations. I mean, that's a that's a, that's an insane interpretation of an insane meeting which took place with the former president. Chuck Grassley was once a really honorable man with a terrific record uh, serving his party. Wow, that must have and, been a long time and ago. And it is a I mean, long time is... ago because what he is doing is a disgrace, as his colleagues are doing. What the Republican Party is doing today is unprecedented in our history going along with subversion of the Constitution of the United States. This is not about a set of unknown facts. It's very clear to these people in the Republican Party what happened. They want to win and prevail in this civil war at any cost. And the cost to the country is something that we have not seen in this 
nation since 1860 to 65. That's the only period in our history we can look at as, as to when the forces of undemocratic, to say the least, but when the forces gathered to undermine our unity as a country and what we stand for and who we are, we are in a similar period right now in which, and that's what we need to be covering as well in the media. What is going on in the country that is allowing this to happen? We need to find out what's on people's minds that they are willing to go along with this. Did you get all of that from Bernstein? Folks, I mean, wrapped up in all of that is a lot of proof of one thing and one thing only. Bernstein has no attachment to the facts. First of all, he denigrated one of the best U.S. senators in U.S. Senate history, Charles Grassley from Iowa. He's been around for a long time. Bernstein is the first person that I have ever heard attack Grassley for his integrity. Basically, what Grassley said, to be honest with you, was just actual, factually, how it happened. Let me ask you this. Do you think, do you think there is one shred of even a remote possibility that if what Carl Bernstein just accused then-President Trump of doing, initiating a coup? No, Bernstein didn't say that. He said it was a coup. Well, by the coup d'etat, the definition of coup d'etat, it's not a coup unless a government is overthrown and that has to involve that government's military. It was nothing like a coup. But just pull back a little bit from Bernstein's The Sky is Falling. Just pull back a little bit and look at exactly what did happen, what we know happened. That was President Trump and a lot of his leaders in the administration felt like were positive based on a lot of things they were being told by experts from state to state, especially from those key states, those five key states uh, from which voting results actually determined the Electoral College vote, in this case against former President Trump and for Joe Biden, information that he was getting from the inside, a lot of critical, uh, credible information. There's something going on here, Mr. President. And so what should he have done? Should he have just said, well, it's too bad, folks. The announced voting totals, even though they make no sense, even though there was such gross rampant irregularity, we're just going to tuck tail and walk away. Is that what half the nation, Bernstein just said it himself, half of Americans feel there was voter cheating, fraud, irregularity, whatever you want to call it, a bunch of those put together. I don't know. But there are tens of millions of Americans that feel like that election, the results were not the actual results. Still to this day, does it have to do with being an in-the-tank, always-Trumper, a MAGA person? Those are the only people that think that. Heavens no, there are tons of people in the Democrat Party that feel that day. Do they think there was absolutely enough votes to overturn that election? Nobody knows for sure. Bernstein doesn't know for sure. He is anything but a journalist. Anderson Cooper has never been a journalist. 
He's he's just a, a rich kid from a very rich family, Gloria Vanderbilt, his mom. And there's no telling how much money Anderson Cooper is worth. And, of course, he's got CNN in his pocket. So anything you want to say on CNN, it doesn't have to be factual. It doesn't have to be truthful because you're on CNN. You're obviously a lefty. And so anything goes. But calling calling half of the nation as being basically idiots that believe the big lie, calling those people anything at all, including Senator Charles Grassley, what that does, folks, it pulls the veil back. If there was a veil over what you thought about these leftist men and women in media, because that is nothing, nothing, has nothing to do with what happened on January 6th. I just hope two things, and we'll move on. I hope, first of all, that we'll get the facts about the 2020 election at some point. It's too late to overturn it. But this is America. And as Bernstein said, we're facing a constitutional crisis. But what he doesn't want to say is why we're facing a constitutional crisis and what it actually is. Yes, it has to do with our election system. And yes, sadly, it has to do with all of the manipulation of our election results, which have been documented by thousands and thousands and thousands of experts that have gone state by state analyzing a bunch of this going forward. We do have to get this election process fixed to make sure that our elections are fair and that the American people understand it's factually, finally fair and that what happened in 2020 will never happen again. Yes, there was massive voting irregularity. Yes, People have lost their jobs. People are in jail today for cheating in 2020. 600 voter fraud cases in the courts in Texas right now. 600, folks. Well, they're not all going to be proven in court that they were valid cases that were filed against these people. How do you know that? And so what? Maybe it's only 25%. So only 150 of these cases involved actual voter fraud, think think of that. Only 150, if that's the number. Probably if there were 600 cases, that probably means there were 6,000 examples of actual voter fraud. We still haven't gotten the full flood of the report coming out of Arizona, other than to know that factually, there was a lot of voter fraud that happened. People that live out of state voting, people dead voting, more people turning in mail-in ballots than there were people sent mail-in ballots. Does that mean it was all fraud? No, but does it just, could it possibly mean to you that everything was cool? Everything was okay? How much cheating is okay with you when it comes to voting? I don't think Americans, in large, more than half, far more than half, but I don't think Americans are in the tank for allowing vote cheating to happen. Just turn a blind eye and walk away from it. I don't think that's what's going to happen. So you heard Bob Gates and his analysis of President Biden and his 
foreign policy decisions. He didn't get into the domestic problems that he thinks this president has. But uh, folks, there's a lot of stuff that's coming out of the marketplace of ideas that are not boding well for this president. Three days after the suspected Islamist-inspired killing of British Minister Sir David Amis, Home Secretary Priti Patel has suggested the incident could usher in restrictions on anonymity on social media to combat cruel comments and attacks on politicians from anonymous users. Now, what's this all about? Well, yesterday, Priti Patel said that she's going to look into everything, including the end of anonymous online postings after the killing of Sir David. There's work taking place already. Now, you need to pay attention to this. This is in the UK. But much of what happens in the UK finds its way here into the United States. She said, we have an online harms bill that will come to Parliament. There is working taking place on it right now. She said, I've done a lot of work on social media platforms, mainly around encryption and areas of that nature. The Home Secretary added that the country cannot carry on like this. I spend too much time, she said, with communities who have been under attack, basically who have had all sorts of postings online, and it is a struggle to get those posts taken down. We want to make some big changes on that. She argued that social media was at the heart of the increasingly contentious political landscape in Britain, saying that the ministers are all subject to relentless, cruel comments and attacks online. Now, why would I even mention this, folks? It's real simple. Free speech, our First Amendment, actually the first two amendments are really the only built-in protections against government overreach into our lives that we have. That, of course, comes from the Constitution. And if you remember how and why those first 10 amendments were done, they termed them the Bill of Rights. Those just simply restated to the government, hey, guys, here are the things that we absolutely positively retain control of as the people of the United States. We have the right of free speech. And it's not one that you gave to us. We've always had it. So we're telling you, you cannot pass a law. You can't in any way abridge the right to free speech for any American, period. That's absolute. Same thing with the right to bear arms, Second Amendment. And there are eight more of those Bill of Rights amendments, the first 10, that include specifics there. Those are not to take those away from the government. They were already ours. They were just telling that government and future governments, you can't touch any of these. So how do we, how do we parse that in with what we see happening every day in mainstream media? Who's got to have the ultimate authority to say what goes and what doesn't go? There are a lot of people, Democrats. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, Senator from Massachusetts, she was all over Busting up Amazon, busting up Apple, busting up Facebook and Twitter, making them comply, pull out that indemnification clause that they have that they talked Congress into giving to them years ago that basically says nobody 
in these organizations can be held liable for any of the posted content on any of these sites because all they are is a clearinghouse for people to put out their own ideas. That's total BS, and everybody knows it. They're way more than that. They're editing. They're publishers. They are determining, and doing so legally because those are private companies, they're determining who can say what. So how can we fix this? Let me tell you personally. Here's a good start. Make everybody identify who they are before they can post anything and make that publicly part of anything and everything that anybody posts. And they have the ability, folks, they have the ability to force whoever's posting at any time to prove that they are the people they say they are when they post. None of this anonymity in posting, that's what Ms. Patel called it, anonymity. What I call it is drive-by shooters. And I, and, and I get into it. It's been a long time since I have, but people that say stupid stuff on my Facebook page, that's my Facebook page. And yeah, I can control who and what they say comes on there. And I've, I've bumped some people off because they are blistering, bringing no factual information, bringing nothing positive to a conversation. And they're doing it anonymously. If you want to say something and you feel like you have the right to say it, even if somebody's going to disagree with it, that's fine. Say it. But say it based on who you are so everybody knows. That's what needs to happen in social media. I think uh, probably better than half of all of this will stop if we can somehow disallow the ability to be a drive-by shooter on Twitter and Facebook and all of the other social media pages. I think it'll help us a lot. I don't get into this government control of social media. That's just the beginning of the end, folks. If the government can put their finger in anything, it's going to degrade at best. It's going to be destroyed at worst. And typically more and more under heavy-handed Democrat rule, the more and more part of that, the killing of good things is pretty much what would happen. So you know what hadn't been talked about in a while? All the illegal immigration that's still continuing at our southern border. And just because you don't hear about it, just because we don't know what's going on down there, we just assume everything's okay. If there was something real bad, obviously the media would put it out there and every American would know about it. That would be normal. It wouldn't be today. When things were normal, we pretty well knew about most everything, good and bad, that happened. But unless you go to a handful of news outlets, you're not going to find out when anything bad happens. And I say bad if it has any negative impact on the persona of any Democrat or any uh, part of the Democrat Party. They're going to hide it. So we're not hearing about that. That doesn't mean. There aren't important things happening in the way of illegal immigration in our southern border. At the epicenter is always the state of Texas because they're the biggest and they have the most border right up against Mexico. 
So there is some nasty news coming out from our southern border. We've got that. We've got a whole lot more. And Pete Buttigieg is back at work. You didn't know he'd been off work for maternity leave for two months. We're just getting cranking, folks. Undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan, spin-free news from the world. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait. Come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. What? Stay back. I've got mace. Ow, that went in my eyes. Quit moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. I just got corrected, folks. Oh, my goodness. Mary Ann just jumped in the studio, door open, and you were wrong about Pete Buttigieg. I was wrong. What was I wrong about? You, you, did, he, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, two months. Well, I said it was maternity leave, and it's not. Well, what do you mean, Dan? He wasn't at work. He left. He was gone. He and his um, his partner, I don't know if they're married. I think they are, but I'm not sure. But uh, they adopted twins, and so he left because of that. Well, he did. He left because of that, folks. But it was paternity leave. Paternity leave. I didn't know you took paternity leave. I didn't know. But anyway, I guess you do. And I guess he did, and that means he got two months off to help get the babies ready for whatever they're going to be doing and, and who's going to be doing it. I, I have no concept of that lifestyle uh, in the gay and lesbian community, but he's back at work. And boy, he stepped right back into it, didn't he, when he came back, this supply chain stuff. He is the Secretary of Transportation in the Biden administration, so he's the Lord over all of that. Well, the fingers got pointed at him really in large when it was discovered. They didn't announce it when it happened. We just assumed Pete was on the job, but he wasn't. And the supply chain thing happens to fall right in the lap of who? Whoever is the Secretary of Transportation. So he came out, came back to work. I, I should not use that term, came out. I'm sorry, I apologize. He's been out of the closet. But he, he came out about the sources and the reasoning for our extreme supply chain 
It's a disaster, folks. It's not a problem. We're in deep doo-doo. But here's his explanation. And, of course, he's Mayor Pete. Wanted to be President Pete, but he's now Secretary of Transportation Pete, so he, he knows. So you're doing this 90-day sprint. This is what the administration is doing to address these supply chain issues. But when you do the math on that, of course, that takes us into January. So that is after, of course, December, after the holidays. Should Americans be prepared? Uh, Should they know they're not going to get their packages, they're not going to get their goods in time for Christmas if they're not doing it right now? Well, let me be clear. There is more throughput than there has ever been. In other words, uh, we are processing right now as a country record levels of containers and other goods coming into our ports already. The issue is that there's even more demand than uh, the supply chain can support. I want to ask you about Southwest because we saw these disruptions here in recent days. And I just wonder how concerning is it to you that the cascading effect of just, you know, a few hours of weather and air traffic issues caused this many cancellations? Well, this is another example of a resilience issue. Uh, We've seen how the supply chains have not always been nimble enough to keep up with the movement of goods. And we're finding that uh, in this case, uh, you have an airline that did not have the right planes and and people in the right places when there was this impact, mainly from weather issues that that took place in Florida. Uh, Now, uh, that in this case uh, impacted that one airline, but uh, we continue to want to see steps taken uh, to make it possible. Often the limiting factor is uh, has to do with uh, labor as well as equipment and we need to make sure that we have a more nimble and flexible set of capabilities Uh, and that that feeds back to our our broader systems which again I I know I keep repeating it but it's why we've got to invest in our infrastructure as a country it's always in a Democrat administration the cure for anything anything at all doesn't matter what it is throw more money at it and of course they don't have any money to throw at it unless they get it from you and me And so that's Mayor Pete. That's his cure for the um, supply chain problem that we have. It's, you know, we just don't have enough money. We've got to fix the infrastructure. Folks, here's the problem. The problem is Democrats were totally gone. They had no clue. They didn't even think about, yet alone talk about, yet alone work on, anything to do with the supply chain that was inevitable it was going to happen when the nation locked down. They knew it up front. You know, we didn't start having supply chain issues until when? Until January. Now, wait a minute. The pandemic started late in the spring of 2020. He wasn't president then, and things were moving okay. Supply chain was was being taken care of even though there were lockdowns and stuff. Yeah, you had management in the White House. You had management in the cabinet. You had management in the Department of Transportation that was gone. It was missing. It still is in the White House in the Biden administration. And yet, here's a guy. He's in a position. He knows what it is to run a municipality a municipality and a municipal entity. Sure, it wasn't nearly as grandiose as the United States of America, but it was a city, South Bend, Indiana. And folks, he's doing the same thing now that he did in South Bend. People up there didn't like him because he wouldn't take care of anything in their city. They couldn't get streets and stuff handled when he was mayor. 
And they complained about it when he was running for president. And so what do they do? They do exactly what you heard Mayor Pete say. The Southwest airline thing that happened, everybody knows it had nothing to do with infrastructure. It had nothing to do with the supply chain shortages. And it certainly didn't have anything to do with the airline not handling the location of its planes well. We're talking about a major airline that's been in business for 40 years, Southwest Airlines. And then he even threw in the W word, weather in South Florida, folks. There was no weather that was going to shut down 2,000 flights in one day, 3,000 in two and a half days. We didn't have bad weather last weekend across the U.S. There were some little spots, but nothing significant. He made it sound like this was hurricanes in every location on the, on the continent. And, of course, they have to blame it on something like that because... We don't take responsibility for decisions that we make. Remember the Joe Biden method when he and Barack Obama assumed the White House and the vice presidency in 2008? Every bad thing that happened the first three years that they were in office, every bad thing that happened, it came from the Bush administration. Every good thing that happened that may have been initiated during the Bush administration, no, 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 Obama and Biden took credit for it. And even into their second term, that was the same things that they did. Joe Biden's doing exactly the same thing now. Everything bad that happens this year, it's because of the Trump administration. Everything good that happens this year, none of it could have anything to do with the stuff that was done in the Trump administration because they were bad. We're good. Listening to Secretary Buttigieg talk about and explain what you just heard. All that tells me, folks, is we are in trouble because there is no plan to fix the supply chain issue. There are private people that have come up with some ideas, and there are some government people that have. Reroute a bunch of those ships that are coming to L.A., because that's the closest port in the United States from places like Malaysia, Australia, China. Reroute some of that. Run it through the Panama Canal to the ports of Miami, some along the East Coast, Houston, New Orleans. Spread it around so they're not all locked up having to come through one gate to get into the country. Would that fix it? Probably not. But what it would do, it would speed it up a little bit. When you have 250 ships that are coming from Southeast Asia and they're coming to the United States and you have 250, 250 of them, and I'm, that's, that's an average, moored as much as 50 miles offshore of the port of Los Angeles waiting to get the call to bring your boat into dock to be unloaded, you got problems, serious problems, and they need to be addressed. You didn't hear one word come out of the Secretary of Transportation's mouth about what the plans are to fix it. Not one word. Let me give you a novel couple of sentences. Well, one sentence that you need to make part of your life, not just about this, but a part of everything. Listen to this. Nothing changes if nothing changes. 
Nothing changes if nothing changes. You want different results? I don't care what it is. You want different results? Try first changing some of what you're doing that gives you that result. It's stupid to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different outcomes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. I don't know what the Biden administration has, if they have anything planned to fix our supply chain stuff. So let me tell you what we've done here. We've started an aggressive plan of looking around in our household at the things that we're going to need every day. And there's a bunch of things that you use and need every day that aren't things that uh, have shelf life, basically. They're going to be okay, at least for an extended period of time, a year or two, just sitting around. Things like paper towels, cleaning supplies, toilet paper, all those kinds of things. And there are some types of food, rice, sugar, um, flour, a bunch of things that you can name that in a pinch, you know, if you've got flour and sugar and cooking oil and you have uh, fuel and stuff like that, you can get by without having a bunch of fresh stuff that you get at Whole Foods or at Kroger and you go every couple of days. You don't have to do that. If you plan, you can be okay. So we've started stocking up on some of that stuff. Well, you know, not, nothing like that's going to happen. We're never going to run out of anything. Don't say never, folks. But the stuff that we're stocking up on, at least right now today, it doesn't have a shelf life. If we don't need it in the volume that we have it, we will over time use it. That just means we won't have to buy it later. But just in case, just in case, that's a good thought to have. What about a generator? Have you thought about that? Do you have a small generator? Do you have one that you're using? I'm not trying to light a fire or get anybody scared. I'm just giving you some things to think about. What ifs? What if we have an energy problem, an energy crisis? Well, I'll just tell you this much. At your home, electricity is going to be way more likely, more than 10 times more likely than, say, natural gas for it to be shut off for whatever reason or reasons. The power grid, which is electric, folks, the power grid is far more susceptible to problems of many, many kinds than our natural gas lines. Think about getting a natural gas generator at your home. You can get a portable one, one that rolls around, but you can get a permanent one. And the prices on those things are getting ridiculously low. However, supply and demand, there are a lot of people that are thinking some of these same things. Even if you don't do it specifically for this, what might happen? You and I both know your electricity is going to go off every once in a while. And if you live in a modern day world, which most of us do, a lot of your house and a lot of the stuff in your house needs electricity to run. A generator can take care of that. Generator in our home will run the entire thing and our studio at the same time. So we're not going off the air. We're not going to be struggling with a way to cook. We have natural gas in our stoves. We have a really nice grill set up outside, and we have a natural gas generator at the side of the house. 
Just think about things like that. If you don't have a lot of money, I get it. If you, if you can't do it, but what you can do is you can start looking ahead and planning ahead just a little bit. So stock up on some of those things. Not all of them. You may, you don't want to, you don't want to have big packages of toilet paper sitting around the floor in your house because you don't have any place to store it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, figure out how many people there are in your household and make some preliminary plans for at least part of it. And you'll be okay. It'll take some of the fear and concern out, give you a little better sleep tonight if it doesn't do anything else. So I told you, I pointed out and reminded you, there's stuff, bad stuff happening at our southern border. This just popped up overnight. I thought you might want to know about it. Reports say from ICE that more than 16,000 migrants who tested positive for COVID-19 were released into the United States. Just let go. Tested positive, 16,000. The Biden administration didn't mandate any of the migrants be vaccinated before they were released. The source says the figures only include those migrants who were tested by ICE. There were a bunch we found out, we were told, that a bunch of migrants that were released to these NGOs, these non-government organizations in these towns and cities that take care of them, a bunch of them were tested and were let go. But we don't know the number. The 16,000 are only those who were tested by ICE. Migrants range from infants to the elderly. A Department of Homeland Security document reviewed reports the oldest released migrants were over 85 years old. Ne- nearly 1,300 were under the age of 10. 12,000 of the migrants who tested positive and were released were between 18 and 40. More than 11,800 were male. 1,300 were under the age of 10. 6,000 were between 20 and 29 years old. These releases occurred in multiple towns and cities across the U.S. before January and early October. Between January and early October. That total does not include the thousands of untested migrants released directly by the Border Patrol. These we know. 16,000 were numbered, were tested, and were released. But there are hundreds of thousands of others that we just released. We have no idea what their status on the virus is. So this is not, this is not a Republican worry or concern, folks. This is an American concern. A lot of, most Americans are really concerned about it. And even Democrats, especially Democrats down south in Texas and New Mexico, Arizona and California, Over the weekend, Representative Tony Gonzalez from Texas said he is pleased to see the Biden administration move towards reinstituting the Remain in Mexico policy. But he says now the administration needs to be held accountable. And what we saw in Del Rio weeks ago, he said, we will see over and over and over again unless something happens. There you go. Nothing changes unless something changes. Gonzalez stated the Remain in Mexico policy works. We saw it work extensively and worked very well in the Trump administration. It's encouraging, he said, to see this administration start to go down that road. 
We have to hold them accountable. I'm not stopping until I see that policy get reinstated. The Supreme Court has demanded it be reinstated, by the way. Congressman later said, these folks don't just arrive at our southern border. It's happening well in advance. What we saw in Del Rio, we'll see over and over again unless something new happens. Here's the problem, though, folks. Who holds a president of the United States liable and responsible for what they do and don't do? Who has unilateral authority for that? The U.S. Congress. This U.S. Congress is controlled in the tank. Democrats control both houses of Congress now. They're not going to hold Joe Biden accountable for anything. Meanwhile, Uncle Joe, his job approval, I didn't think it would get worse or could get much worse as quickly as it has. Now he's down at 36%. Only 36%, that's from a Zogby poll, still support Joe Biden. Add to that, 61% of those that answered that uh, poll gave Biden a negative rating when asked about his job performance. 2.3% were unsure of how they felt. He was viewed negatively among every age group, particularly now the younger generation. Voters between the ages of 18 and 29 who viewed him 63% negatively only 34% positively. It also revealed Biden's lost the support from the majority of Hispanic voters, 41% positive, 59% negative, and an overwhelming majority of independent voters, 24% positive, but 71 are negative. Here's the thing that the uh, Democrat Party has always done. They've always demand total control over the vote of people of color, people of ethnicity, specifically African Americans and Hispanic voters. They just take them for granted. They promise the world, and then they treat them like trash. And it just boggles my mind why the majority of African Americans in this nation for generations have just been, hey, I'm I'm black, i got to pull the, the Democrat Party lever every time I vote because they're the ones that have us at heart when the truth everything points to the exact opposite being true look at look at what happened in just the four short years of the Trump administration to people of ethnicity african-american and hispanic and even Asians unemployment went to record lows under the Trump administration There had never been that many African-Americans that were employed. African-American women, their employment went through the roof. Poverty went way, 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 way down. And it was because people were working. More people employed under the Trump administration than at any time in U.S. history. And I'm talking about percentage of people. And this Zogby poll, the latest one, all of every poll comes out. They may disagree a little bit on numbers, but every poll that comes out, people just don't like the job this president is doing. And what's even worse, folks, is um, this disdain for this administration. 
It, it, it's not just about labor. It's not just about illegal immigration. It's not just about taxes. It's not just about any one or two or three things. It's across the spectrum of every part of our lives. The Justice Department's National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. That's an actual plan. National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. It was laid out by Attorney General Merrick Garland in the summertime in June, as well as his recent memo aimed at parents at school board meetings are both intended for one thing, to intimidate and silence people who disagree with the Democrat marching mantra. That's according to Nicholas Giordano, who's a professor of political science, as he pled with parents to be courageous and speak out before it'll be too late, while he was blasting the notion that the National School Board Association can now define domestic terrorism. They now have the right, this DOJ, this Attorney General Merrick Garland, who would rather, instead of Attorney General, be a Supreme Court justice, he didn't get the shot because the Senate never took up his nomination by Barack Obama. Yesterday, Giordana joined Steve Malsberg on his show, Eat the Press Weekly, to discuss the Biden administration's use of the DOJ to target their political opponents. The DOJ memo is an extension of this, that national strategy for countering domestic terrorism, where they're using it to target any and all political opponents. It's clear, this writer said, noting that its fourth pillar talks about implementing critical race theory in the classroom, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in the classroom. He then called out the Biden administration, which has fires all over the place for their distorted priorities. This is exactly what we're talking about. They're they're being attacked by everybody across the board for individual and sometimes multiple numbers of the egregious things this administration is putting out in every department, in every sector of our society. Every issue they're failing on, but they've chosen to prioritize targeting American parents who are simply upset at what their children are being taught. They're upset about their kids wearing masks for six to eight hours. They're upset about mandates. And now they're being labeled as domestic terrorists just for caring to speak out. And he also described the targeting of dissenting citizens as extraordinarily troubling. I don't know who's advising advising the uh, Biden administration, but when we have a situation where the government is now openly targeting people that dissent, it's very troubling. Claiming to be waiting for all the conservative organizations to be more vocal and push back, Giordana has urged Congress to push to investigate this matter at the DOJ at depth. I'd like members of Congress to start calling for investigation into what's going on because the full force of the federal law enforcement apparatus with the FBI, in addition to the intelligence community, is threatening our parents. And this document that the National School Board Association sent to the DOJ talks about using the Department of Homeland Security and the Patriot Act against ordinary American citizens. When did the National School Board Association get to define 
domestic terrorism. That's what they're trying to do. This Patriots Act, do you, you, you know what that is. That, uh, that came up first during the Bush 43 administration after 9-11 when it became apparent that there were a lot of foreigners domestically and also overseas who were not being too kind and thoughtful about all things to do with the United States of America. And there were a bunch of foreigners that were in this company, in this country, and uh, they were communicating with others overseas and around this country about terrorist activities. So the Patriot Act was, um, it was devised and was approved by Congress and it's been rolled over and rolled over and rolled over. But there's one segment in the Patriot Act that concerns a lot of people uh, because of things like this. If you base the Patriot Act and its contents on the DOJ's targeting of parents, American parents, U.S. parents, that are very concerned about what's happening in our public school classrooms regarding teaching their children, and calling them domestic terrorists, if they were domestic terrorists, which they're not, but if they were, it opens the door for a whole lot of very nefarious things to happen legally through the FBI and even our intelligence agencies targeting these parents just because they have that label, a domestic terrorist, which they're not. Don't ever think that something that comes out of D.C. is ever just a talking point, especially if it targets a particular segment of people. Nothing is just accidental. There's nothing the Democrat Party will ever do or say or allow any member of Congress that is a Democrat or even a political leader, a bureaucrat. They will never allow anything to be said that has not been tried, tested, and assured that it can be and is being used to denigrate anybody who they consider to be an enemy, a political enemy. And let's be honest, there's a bunch of us that wear that bullseye on our back just simply for one reason. We don't agree with the overarching totalitarian agenda of the socialist Democrats that are running our nation today. Back in a moment. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom, Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom, A River Runs Through the Bathroom. For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up. 
and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Biggie bag, huh? It's new from Wendy's. It's everything you ever wanted for just five bucks. Everything I ever wanted? Wendy's bacon double stack, four nuggets, fries, a drink, and the spelling bee medal you lost in second grade because you couldn't spell soliloquy. It really is everything I ever wanted. Get a bacon double stack with a quarter pound of fresh beef, nuggets, fries, and a drink for just five bucks. Wendy's Biggie Bag is everything you ever wanted. Sorry, I'm going to need all that back. Really? Separating fact from fiction. Arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. We couldn't do the show today without giving some updates and uh, information about COVID world and um, ever-changing facts in COVID world. Let me just tell you this, folks. Um, It's beginning to look more and more and more likely that vaccinations for COVID-19, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and overseas, um, the one that we can't have here, that they don't work effectively if they work at all. And in some cases, they're causing more problems than they are alleviating. You may have heard former Secretary of State, four-star general, former head of the Joint Chiefs, Colin Powell, died overnight from COVID-19. 84 years old, picture of health, never been sick, no problems there. And he had been totally vaccinated. We're now hearing numbers, and here's here's the problem. The numbers that we're hearing, they're not coming from the source, the real source that we're supposed to get information from. That would be the Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And um, the problem is when the numbers don't come from there, but they come from other entities, the question mark goes up. But now it's really a conundrum for all of us because when we hear anything from the CDC, the question marks go up. We don't trust the CDC. Uh, Talking to a friend of ours this morning who met an emergency room physician over the weekend, and uh, this guy is well-known, well-thought-of, and my friend asked him, he said, so give me a skinny tour, a short synopsis, of this entire vaccination thing. What do you think about it? And the guy looked, and now remember, he's an ER doc, which means he sees when the real bad cases come through the facilities that he's at. He said, uh, he started it off by saying this, whatever you do, don't take that vaccine. And my friend just kind of looked at him, and the doctor continued. He said, I wouldn't even vaccinate my dog or my cat, and I don't even like my cat. He said, in a nutshell, basically what he said is there is so much gross misrepresentation of quote-unquote factual information by a controlled entity, controlled by basically our government and far leftists. And more and more and more, it's looking like there are some very, 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 very wealthy people in the United States and elsewhere that have put their thumb 
on the information going out about this virus and about its treatment. So, on Thursday of this week, there are a lot of people in the clergy who have begun, you know, the, the, the thing was, it's always pretty much been, there were a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of evangelists that stay away from things like healthcare stuff, uh, like um, government dealing with the people, staying away from politics. There's a pastor named Dave Scarlett. He has an international television show, beams into every country on planet Earth. He's going to join us, and we're going to talk about the vaccine. We're going to talk about these vaccine mandates. And uh, I think you'll want to be a part of the show. That's Thursday morning. Pastor Dave Scarlett will be with us more about that as the week progresses. But looking around the nation now, what's happened is all these companies have come out and they're mandating their employees get the vaccination. People are getting fired left and right. Big major corporations put out the uh, the word that by such and such a date, you got to be vaccinated or risk termination. And uh, more and more, a bunch of these companies are getting major pushback from employees, and some of them are changing their tune. But in addition to that, there's a bunch of people that are filing lawsuits. One federal judge on Friday temporarily blocked a Department of Energy laboratory contracted operator in Tennessee from terminating or even placing any employee on unpaid leave who aren't exempted from a COVID-19 mandate. Days after six employees filed a lawsuit against the University of Tennessee, Batelli, District Judge Charles Ashley issued a temporary restraining order that limits the ability for the managing contractor for Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Folks, that's a big one in the U.S. government. They can't now place employees on indefinite unpaid leave or fire them after they receive a religious or medical exemption to the COVID vaccine. Though it's a not-for-profit company, UT Batelli allows for employees to submit requests for exemptions under the Civil Rights Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act. It later told about 140 employees they're going to be put on unpaid leave as of the 15th of this month, which was Friday, despite their approval for one of these exemptions. Their actions left workers with the impossible choice of either taking the COVID-19 vaccine at the expense of their religious beliefs and their health or losing their livelihoods. In doing so, UT Batelli has violated Title VII and the ADA by failing to engage in the interactive process and provide reasonable accommodations and also by retaliating against employees who engage in protected activity. That's what the lawsuit says. The TIRO is effective through the 29th of this month. Judge Atchley wrote that he will decide then on whether to let it expire or to continue while the case is ongoing. He added he issued the order until a full hearing can be held. He rejected the employee's other motions to attempt to halt the mandate for any staffer in the process of requesting an exemption to the requirement while their requests are being considered, obviously. Actually wrote that preventing their employees' placement on unpaid leave for a matter of two weeks simply will not 
harm the organization. While the unpaid leave presents a functional loss of employment and other damages for the employees at the laboratory. We're going to see more and more and more on this. You can book it. And it looks like there is a class action suit that is about to be filed against the Biden administration, against the Pentagon and the Biden administration by members of the military for the same reasons. And this is going to grow and expand and grow and expand And folks, we tell you all the time, if you want to see what's coming your way, just look across the pond to the east. Look at what is happening across Europe. Folks in places like Paris and Munich, other big cities in Europe, every weekend there are massive protests and riots. Their riots seem to be a little bit different than the Antifa Black Lives Matter riots because they don't always instantly escalate. The numbers are typically larger of those participating in Europe, but they really don't get nasty for a long time. But when they get nasty, they get really nasty. Same thing is happening down under across Australia. Citizens are saying, look, you can't do this stuff to us. This is wrong. Whatever happened to my body, my choice. Whatever happened to government by the people, of the people, and for the people? Where'd our say-so go? When did we lay down and give you unilateral control of everything in our lives without even any justification, explanations, or facts, or science, or evidence that justifies it? Let me just throw this little caveat in there. There are sources coming out this morning documenting with actual numbers the new cases of COVID-19 across the nation, especially in some of the big cities, 90% of the new cases are happening among the vaccinated. So what does that tell you, Dan? Well, besides the fact that we don't know what's in the vaccine, Every few days, some new bit of information comes out that is factual, that shows there's some questionable stuff at best included in the actual vaccines. What we do know is that it's not working the way we were told it was going to work and the way we've been told it has been working. Now, why is that? Why is that? I liken that back to the flu vaccine. You know, every vaccine that we ever had, all of them I had when I was a kid, I got a vaccination for the mumps. I didn't ever get the mumps. I got a vaccination um, for rabies, not for rabies, uh, for what? For polio. I never got polio. It doesn't happen. Nobody gets polio that gets vaccinated. Nobody gets uh, uh, the disease that they're vaccinated for when you're a kid. Measles, chicken pox, all of those. You don't get them. Why? What, what, what happened? What changed? They invented the flu vaccine. It works. It's going to stop the flu. It doesn't even come close to stopping the flu. People get the flu in similar numbers that they used to get the flu until COVID, of course. Now, COVID killed the flu. Every upper respiratory problem that comes up in America today, it's automatically classified as COVID. Nobody dies from the flu anymore. You die from COVID. And that's not an exaggeration, folks. That's the thing that has got tens of millions of Americans 
and tens of millions, billions of people around the world concerned about these so-called vaccines, that their efficacy is dropping almost daily. And just think this, if they're telling us it's down 10%, that means automatically it's down 40%, and they're shading the numbers. They have no credibility any longer. They just don't. And so Americans find themselves in this quandary. Who do we listen to? Who do we turn to? Where do we get facts? We all want facts. There's no doubt about it. We want facts. We expect facts. And we're open to facts. But folks, we're not getting the facts. You want the latest from the CDC on the VAERS COVID vaccine adverse event from uh, a week ago? We've got them all. Now, this comes from the CDC. Now, let me give you this before we break it down for you. These numbers are not the actual numbers in each of these categories, and the CDC tells us that. And here's how they tell us what the real numbers are. In a quote, estimates are these numbers will be between 30% to 80% higher than these estimated numbers because every adverse reaction to COVID-19 vaccines are not reported to the CDC. From 30 to 80% more than these actual numbers. Put that in context and listen to the stats released this morning from the CDC. Deaths. Now, these are not vaccine deaths from the vac- from the COVID-19 disease. These are deaths that happen immediately following a patient being vaccinated. Deaths. This is since January 1 through October the 8th. 16,766. Okay. Could be 30% higher than that could be 80% higher than that. COVID vaccine adverse effects hospitalizations, 79,669. Urgent care trips, 89,923. Doctor's office visits, 124,398. Anaphylaxis, 7,336. Bell's palsy, 9,787. Miscarriages, 2,508. Heart attacks, 8,136. Myocarditis, pericarditis, 9,470. Permanently disabled people, 24,805. Thrombocytopenia, low platelet count, 3,735. Life-threatening other Reactions, 18,239. Severe allergic reactions, 31,196. Cases of shingles, 9,472. The big number, of course, 16,766 deaths. And that number could be, according to the CDC, on the low side, 30% more than that. So what does that do? That pushes it over 20,000 deaths or 80% more of that. 
We've never seen anything even remotely similar to this in every vaccine that's been watched since early 1990s. All total deaths from those vaccinations from 1991 until this year, all total 1,800. So far this year, and we know this is not the top number, 16,766 deaths experienced by somebody who was vaccinated for COVID-19. Something's going on there, folks. Something's going on. Service members from all five branches of the military, federal employees, federal civilian contractors, they've all joined in that class action lawsuit against the Department of Defense. 24 different groups of Americans. They face a deadline under the federal COVID-19 vaccine mandate to get that vaccine that violates their sincerely held religious beliefs and have been refused any religious exemption or accommodation. That's according to the council, the Liberty Council, which is a Christian legal firm that is filing this class action lawsuit. It's already been filed in district court for the Middle District of Florida. It lists President Biden, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas as defendants. In the suit, the case, the, they're asking for the court to issue a temporary restraining order to prevent the COVID-19 vaccine mandates from taking effect and ultimately issue an injunction to prevent the Pentagon from enforcing the Biden administration's vaccine mandates. Remember back on September 9th, it seems like it was yesterday, but it wasn't, folks. Uh, five weeks ago, Biden issued an executive order requiring almost every federal employee to get a vaccine as a condition of their employment. Regular testing isn't even an option. Civilian federal employees and contractors have until November 22nd next month to be fully vaccinated. Austin issued a memo on August 24th saying that all military service members got to receive a vaccine, after which all the branches of the military announced various deadlines for its troops to be fully vaccinated. The Navy, they just kind of went crazy with it. They've set a November 28th deadline for active duty service members. Reservists have until December 28th. For the Army and the Air Force, the deadlines for active duty service members or December 15 and November 2nd, respectively. Deadlines for National Guard and Reserve members are June 30th next year and December 2nd of this year, respectively. Coast Guard members have until November 22nd. The suit says that plaintiffs have demonstrated their commitments to the U.S. Constitution and the nation's future comfort, security, and prosperity. This court should demand, the suit says, that the nation return the favor, telling plaintiffs they must accept or receive a shot they oppose according to their sincerely held religious beliefs or face court-martial, dishonorable discharge, and other life-altering disciplinary measures disgraces the sacrifices these heroes have made. A Pentagon spokesman said in an email statement, we do not comment on ongoing litigation. And then even it gets worse across the spectrum. I I don't know if it's worse, but more of the same. Merrick Garland, Attorney General, that memo he put out that blasts parents 
as domestic terrorists and instructing the FBI to intervene and start investigating examples of domestic terrorism at school board meetings. Let me tell you what better happen, and it better happen quickly. Congress needs to delineate in a law, a specific law, exactly what constitutes cases of domestic terrorism. And I promise you, a mad mother going in front of a school board, confronting their school board members that they elect with instances and circumstances that the school board members are allowing, and in many cases are pursuing and promoting for the top-down grievous actions taken by educators against those public school students. That's way away from domestic terrorism. Four out of the eight members of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights joined to write a letter to Attorney General Garland chastising him for that memo. Their letter said, We write to express our concerns regarding a recent memo issued by your office. The members who signed on to the letter include Commissioner Pete Kersenow, J. Christian Adams, Gail Harrowett, and Stephen Gilchrist. Your memo did not cite any specific examples of, quote, harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence that would provide any specific examples or any basis for law enforcement action by the department, the letter read. We're concerned that much of what the NSBA calls threats and acts of intimidation and compares to domestic terrorism and hate crimes can be merely classified as protected political speech. Providing examples of political speech, the members insisted that a parent concerned with a local school board policy may pretend an electoral challenge against an incumbent school board member, adding that a move like that would be well within the parent's First Amendment rights and well without the department's purview as a federal law enforcement agency. We've combed the Internet for signs that parents petitioning school boards are anything approaching a national problem. Nearly all of what we have seen, the letter says, makes us proud to be Americans. Parents care about the education of their kids. They're not willing to allow them to be indoctrinated into some radical ideology. The members also concluded that a few of these parents have gotten out of hand and made threats, then local law enforcement is entirely appropriate in handling the situation. The members also asked Garland whether he's surprised that concerned parents across the country review his memorandum and uh, they look at it as an endorsement of the NSBA's description of their protest as comparable to domestic terrorism. The members closed the letter by asking Garland to provide specific examples of harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence, which Garland claimed, by the way, as evidence for the need for federal intervention. Don't tell me this administration is not hell-bent on grabbing freedom, grabbing Americans by their throats to silence any kind of dissonant conversation. That sounds so much like what happened beyond behind the, the Iron Curtain after World War II. It's happening right now in our nation, folks. 
This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water, vitamin water. Regular water, vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car. But when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have Car Shield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. Car Shield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and Car Shield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. As politics grow ever more chaotic, remember this truth. When you're taking heavy flack, it usually means you're over the target. Open the Bombay doors. Truthnewsnet.org. Your pilot on this mission, Dan Newman. Listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. There will be no TNN live show tomorrow, Tuesday the 19th. There will not be a TNN live show tomorrow, Tuesday. For those of you who want to know, I'm having a medical procedure, and I would covet your prayers that's tomorrow only. We'll be back in the saddle Wednesday, everything as usual. There'll be a story, at least one story published tomorrow morning at truthnewsnet.org. We're not going away. We're just going to be out of pocket tomorrow, Tuesday, back on Wednesday. You got to hear what our buddies down under think about the current state of the Biden administration. Unfortunately, things aren't going quite so well in the U.S. for Joe Biden. Or for that matter, millions of Americans facing rising prices for groceries that aren't available. Flight delays and cancellations from an airline sector that is apparently beset by bad weather and claims that some, by some that vaccine mandates are leading pilots to perform sickouts. And of course, they've got a transportation secretary who's been off since mid-August on paternity leave while America's supply chains break down. And indeed, Americans are beginning to start to notice that the boring, normal guy that 81 million of them voted for to save them from the chaos of Trump is looking pretty chaotic himself. The latest zombie poll has Joe Biden's approval down to just 36 percent, with pollster John Zogby saying the president's administration is, quote, sinking like the Titanic which, of course, experts said was unsinkable. So, so much for experts, I guess. 
Anyway, it's not just ordinary Americans giving Biden the flick. Even big-time Democrats and former Obama administration officials are unloading on old Joe. On an episode of 60 Minutes set to air Sunday night, Barack Obama's former defense secretary reportedly says that watching Biden's debacle in Afghanistan made him, quote, physically sick. And if you thought prices were going to get any better for Americans, and incidentally, this is something that's going to hit Australian shores too, trust me, no dice. Former Obama economic advisor Larry Summers says a, quote, woke Federal Reserve is going to lead to prices getting out of control. And even as Biden keeps pushing a $3.5 trillion, that's trillion with a T, spending program that will pump so much cash into the economy and devalue the dollar so much it won't be long before Americans will be rolling a wheelbarrow full of Bitcoin down to the shops to buy a loaf of bread. That's not all. A former Obama administration's ethics official has also teed off on the Biden administration for ignoring questions about whether people paying upwards of $75,000 for Hunter Biden's crack doodles might, shock horror, be trying to skirt the rules about buying influence with the president. It ain't getting better for Joe Biden. It looks like it is only getting worse. And we say that based on facts, not on assumptions. That's a wrap on Monday. Thanks for being here again. We will not be live tomorrow, Tuesday, 19th, but we will be back in the saddle 9 a.m. sharp Central Time on Wednesday. Have a great day, folks. Remember, the best is yet to come. It's going to get better. Don't worry. See you on Wednesday. Have a great one.